Got my fan club down in the front row here. <laughs> God bless you. Hope you had a great week. Man, this is great weather. But with great weather comes yard work. So I'll take the snow. I can hardly walk the stairs today. I'm so crippled up from yard work. But I hope you had a great week. We want to welcome our online uh, crowd. We appreciate them tuning in. Be good if you, uh, if you identified yourself. We like to find out just who's out there. All the rest of you who are here, God bless you. And they keep coming in. It's amazing. Just just go take a seat back there, Lydia. Ah, <laughs> uh, let's see. What do we have here? Next Sunday, uh, I don't know how many of you would be interested in this, but there's a free lunch up at uh, the church camp, Lake James Christian Camp and Retreat Center. Uh, that's right after the services. They're serving lunch from 12 to 2, and 
especially for those of you who are not very familiar with the camp, it's, it's great to go up there and, and uh, get a tour. You can get a tour of the camp, and uh, there's games for the kids, and so, yeah. You need to RSVP, though, so the information's in your bulletin. Uh, they need to know you're coming so they can throw another hot dog in the water. So, uh, Two weeks from today is Mother's Day. It's hard to believe, I know. But uh, we honor the moms. For those of you who have any history with us, you kind of know how the drill works. We have a lot of fun with that. And uh, so that's two weeks from today, Mother's Day. It comes early this year. It's the 8th. So uh, be thinking about what you're going to do for your mama. And ladies, start buying your big hats or putting together your big hats. Oh, big hats. Yeah, we're going to wear big hats. Oh. We just decided I thought that. that was for the Kentucky Derby. No. Oh. It's for Christchurch Mother's Day. Oh. Okay, ladies, wear those big hats. Does that mean the men have to wear big hats on Father's Day? No, they just need to cook on Mother's Day. Hawaiian shirts, I guess. Okay. So I guess that's all I need to highlight. Um, but we, well, be looking forward to the end of the month when we have uh, our graduation Sunday. We have got a load of graduates this year. So uh, I'll be sending letters out to the ones I know about, but if if you're not sure that we know that you're a graduating senior or graduating uh, college student, check in with me or with Bailey uh, just to kind of make sure we've got you on our radar because we don't want to miss anybody. So, all right, that's the 29th of May. And keep in mind, all our... Most of our graduates are having open houses that weekend, or, well, over a course of several weekends, actually. So, where's Christian? There you go. All right. All right. So there'll be a meeting after church today in Modular 2 in Dale's classroom for VBS. So if you're interested in volunteering for VBS in a position, please come to that meeting. We're going to be talking about dates, times, what we're doing, who's doing what, what the responsibilities are, and giving you guys all the information so that you can be well-equipped for VBS um, this year. Um, also, for youth group, Monday movie night is going to be canceled for this week and it's going to be moved to next week. So, Monday movie night will be May 2nd. Um, that'll be from probably 5 to 7. Um, we do have a McDonald's hangout on Thursday, but it's going to be moved to 6.30 to 7.30, um, mostly because most of the kids that go are in the musical and they don't get out until 6.30. Um, this week. So Thursday, it's from 6.30 to 7.30 um, at McDonald's. Um, we do have youth group tonight. Don't miss it. From 6 to 8 p.m. It was only canceled for last week. All right. Thank you. All right. Christian.
Lydia, did you have something to say? Yes. Uh, no, you got to wait till you have a microphone in your face. Nope. <laughs> nope, we're not listening. Hello. Okay, now. The wheels on the bus go round and round. Don't, don't oh, sing. Not, oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> some of you parents that have the younger ones, and uh, I just happened to look at some of the forms. They seem to have the wrong date. There is a one night for the young kids. We have several first graders that uh, parents aren't comfortable with them spending a couple of nights. It's the jump start. The program seems to have from July 31st to August 3rd. It's actually July 31st to the morning, to, to the afternoon of August 1st. It's 24 hours, okay? And that's the one I think most of you will feel okay about letting your kids stay, okay? I want to say Matt, not Matt, what's his name, Mark, Mark Ham is going to do it, but he's, you know, he's got a little girl now, so who knows. Hey, Dale, turn it over to you. Oh, thanks, Lydia. All right. <laughs> okay, let's, uh, let's go to the Lord and we'll pray and get started with our worship time. Oh, hallelujah, God, we give you praise and glory for your worthiness to be lifted up. God, you are the great creator and sustainer of your universe. And you look after your people because you're the good shepherd. Lord, we're so thankful to serve you. We're so thankful to be able to come to this place and worship you as a church family. God, we thank you that that we can bring our prayers before your throne and lift up one another before you and, and pray for your very best for them. Lord, we pray that Jesus would be lifted up in us today. Lord, we come to adore you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. the days of Elijah
shining like the sun at the trumpet calls to lift your voice.
9. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God.
When reading the Bible, one of my favorite things to read is Jesus telling parables. And of all the parables I can relate to is Jesus talking about gardening or farming. I enjoy reading about the parable of the sower, the parable of the weeds, and the parable of the mustard seeds. I can relate because I enjoy gardening. I understand about sowing seed on good soil. As of right now, I have many plants started in my bedroom on the floor there where it gets light from the windows. And they're ready to be transplanted into the garden. My seeds are ready. I just need now the soil to get a little warmer and wait about two, three weeks when there's no chance of frost. And with the price of food right now, I am eagerly waiting to start growing my own food. I like to read Luke 22, 14 and 15. When the hour came, Jesus and his disciples reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Just as I eagerly wait to plant a garden, Jesus was eagerly waiting to take the supper with the, his disciples. And I'm sure, as of right now, he is eagerly to wait for us to have it with him right now and take it. And we shouldn't let anything get in the way of doing that. Let us go in prayer. Father, we thank you so much that you loved us and you sent your one and only son that Jesus died a horrible death so we can have forgiveness of our sins. And right now we should eagerly wait, be waiting to take this communion with him and remember the price that was paid for our sins. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. And so now we take the bread and we remember Jesus' body given up for us. And we take the cup and remember his shed blood.
Okay, kids, let's go to your own worship program at this time. We're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 20 today. A doctor's receptionist answered the phone and there was a very excited man screaming at the other end of the line. My wife's in labor, he yelled. I think she's going to deliver any minute now. The receptionist said, please calm down, sir. Try to relax and give me some basic information. Is this her first child? He said, no, I'm her husband. (laughs) Doctors and health concerns can get us pretty panicked. That's especially true when the news is bad. We've been looking at the books of Kings and Chronicles, studying the lives of the rulers of the nations of Israel and Judah. Today we'll see a king who got a bad prognosis, and he panicked. His name is Hezekiah, and Hezekiah was a great king over the nation of Judah. We don't often hear that, do we, through this study? That one was a great king, but that was Hezekiah. He was the son of Ahaz. You might remember a couple weeks ago we talked about Ahaz, he was a terrible king over the southern kingdom of Judah. He committed every abomination possible, including sacrificing his own sons on the altar to his phony gods. Thankfully, Hezekiah missed that fate. Ahaz also shut down the temple when he turned every street corner in Jerusalem into a shrine for pagan gods. Well, Hezekiah, amazingly, was nothing like his father. Hezekiah was a godly king. Maybe it's because even though he served as a co-ruler with his father during the time that the northern kingdom of Israel was destroyed by Assyria, Maybe it's because he realized that the northern kingdom had brought down the judgment of God on themselves because of their idolatry. Well, we're introduced to Hezekiah in 1 Kings, or 2 Kings, I'm sorry, chapter 18. Flip a page or two back from our primary text to 18, chapter 18 and verses 3. And four. It says he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. He removed the high places, smashed the sacred stones, and cut down the Asherah poles. He broke into pieces the bronze snake Moses had made, for up to that time the Israelites had been burning incense to it. It was called Nehushtan. The Jews had taken to using even one of the artifacts from Moses' day, the golden serpent, 
and used it in snake worship. Hezekiah ended that by destroying the golden serpent outright. Now keep your finger there in 2 Kings 18. But I want to read from 2 Chronicles 29 because 2 Chronicles talks about Hezekiah and the 29th chapter tells how he brought revival to Israel. If I can find that here. 2 Chronicles 29, 3-10. In the first month of the first year of his reign, He opened the doors of the temple of the Lord and repaired them. He brought in the priests and the Levites, assembled them in the square on the east side and said, Listen to me, Levites, consecrate yourselves now and consecrate the temple of the Lord, the God of your ancestors. Remove all defilement from the sanctuary. Our parents were unfaithful. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord our God and forsook him. They turned their faces away from the Lord's dwelling place and turned their backs on him. They also shut the doors of the portico and put out the lamps. They did not burn incense or present any burnt offerings at the sanctuary to the God of Israel. Therefore, the anger of the Lord has fallen on Judah and Jerusalem. He has made them an object of dread and horror and scorn, as you can see with your own eyes. This is why our fathers have fallen by the sword and why our sons and daughters and wives are in captivity. Now I intend to make a covenant with the Lord, the God of Israel, so that his fierce anger will turn away from us. He made the promise. And then he kept the promise. Hezekiah was a godly man and a great king. Back in 2 Kings 18, in verses 5 and 6, it says, Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. He held fast to the Lord and did not stop following him. He kept the commands the Lord had given Moses. So I think it's safe to say that Hezekiah was one of the great men of the Old Testament. We think of men like uh, Ezekiel and the prophets of God, Jeremiah. We think of Samuel. We think of the great men of God of the Old Testament. And Hezekiah is right there with them. And yet, Hezekiah was still human. He was still subject to temptation. He was still subject to the sinful nature that we all have. The New Testament calls it the flesh. And the flesh is something that every man and woman of God must fight against. Our theme today is this. Even though the godliest of men struggled with the flesh, there is hope if we repent. As I said earlier, Hezekiah was the king of Judah while the Assyrians were destroying the northern kingdom of Israel and carried away many, many captives. The kingdom of Judah down south 
being in very close proximity to the northern kingdom of Israel, did suffer some losses. But God protected Jerusalem. Today we're going to look at three ways that Hezekiah reveals typical human weakness, the flesh. First of all, we all want to delay our death, don't we? In our text, in 2 Kings 20, verses 1 through 3, it says, In those days Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to him and said, This is what the Lord says. Put your house in order because you are going to die. You will not recover. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Remember, Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. He's at the point of death. We don't know what his affliction is. We'll see further in the story that it involves an infected boil. You probably didn't want to hear that part, but that's what it was. That's the reality. But Hezekiah doesn't want to die yet. And who wants to die from an infected boil? You might think, well, that's not very spiritual of Hezekiah. Shouldn't we be ready to die at any time? I thought godly people weren't afraid of death. Well, I'm not sure that it's necessarily fear that's causing Hezekiah to weep. It may be the shock that he receives at the news. It might be that he knows that there's no one to replace him who will keep Judah on the right spiritual path. We'll see that his son Manasseh is definitely not the type of things that great kings are made of. It may be that he is afraid. Keep in mind, the reason we can be positive about death is because Christ rose from the dead. That's the hope that we have. Hezekiah didn't know anything about Jesus. He's still 700 years away from Jesus on the timeline. We have the advantage of hindsight and truth be told, even though we have that, even though we're promised eternal life, some of us still get nervous about the prospect of death. A driving student was pouring through the handbook just before taking the written exam. And all of a sudden, he got up and hurried from the training room. And as he was going out, the instructor yelled, hey, where are you going? And the student said, I'm out of here. I got to phone my parents right now. We got to move. It says in that book that 90% of all traffic fatalities in the United States occur within five miles of home. <laughs> we get nervous about death. The comedian Woody Allen was interviewed one time and was asked about achieving immortality in Hollywood. He said, I don't want to achieve immortality through my work. 
I want to achieve immortality through not dying. And that's how we are. We all want to delay death. Even if we're not necessarily afraid, we do everything that we can, don't we? Whatever new prescriptions or medications that there are to treat our affliction, we're, we're all in favor of it. If it means surgery, most of us opt for the surgery. New procedures, we're all in. We want to delay death. The Apostle Paul was not exactly in a hurry to die. He's the one who said to live in Christ and to die is gain. But he also prefaces that by saying in Philippians 1, 19 and 20, I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, that what, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul was saying, I'm not sure how well I'll die. He's hoping that he'll set a good example in death, but until he gets there, he's not sure about it. Paul knew it was only through the prayers of his friends and the help given by the Spirit that he would have the courage to face death when it came time. It's our flesh that makes us want to delay death. But let's not fear death. Just before he died, Dwight L. Moody, the great Chicago preacher, said, someday you will read in the papers that D.L. Moody is dead. He said, don't believe a word of it. At that moment, I will be more alive than I am now. I will have gone up higher. That is all. Christians don't need to fear death. That's our flesh taking over. In Psalm 116 in verse uh, 115, or I'm sorry, in verse 15, the psalmist writes, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. If our deaths are precious to God, it's no cause for fear. Well, God heard Hezekiah's prayer. And in verses four through six of 2 Kings 20, it says, before Isaiah had left the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him. Go back and tell Hezekiah, the ruler of my people, this is what the Lord, the God of your father David says. I have heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will heal you. On the third day from now, you will go up to the temple of the Lord. I will add 15 years to your life. And I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend this city for my sake and for the sake of my servant David. So God listens to Hezekiah's prayer. And he grants him another 15 years. 
Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be able to pray and add 15 years to your life after the doctor gives you a death sentence. But James 5 tells us that the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And as a sign that God will fulfill his purpose, he gave Hezekiah a miracle. Every day, the sun's progression across the sky from east to west caused a shadow to move down a stairway in the palace. With these blinds open, every day in here, if you came to the, at the same time, you'd see the same kind of a process as the sun moves from east to west. There's a changing of the shadows. And that was true on Hezekiah's palace stairway. And on this day, God's sign was for the shadow to move back up the stairs. It was as though the shadow of death itself was being reversed for Hezekiah. And even though Hezekiah might have operated from his flesh and not wanting to die so soon, God gave him the desire of his heart. And then Hezekiah reveals a second human weakness. And that is that we all want to strut our success. Isn't that true? We all want to strut our success. Let's look at verses 12 through 13 in our text. At that time, Marduk Baladan, son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent Hezekiah letters and a gift because he had heard of Hezekiah's illness. Hezekiah received the envoys and showed them all that was in his storehouses, the silver, the gold, the spices, and the olive oil, his armory and everything found among his treasures. There was nothing in his palace or in all his kingdom that Hezekiah did not show them. Now, I already mentioned the threat of the Assyrians that had attacked the northern kingdom of Israel and carried off thousands upon thousands and thousands of prisoners. Well, this is the first mention of the Babylonians, and it certainly won't be the last. They will eventually overthrow the Assyrians as the world power. Right now, they're still 100 years away. Babylon is still in the minor leagues as far as empires are concerned. Babylon is still intimidated by the Assyrians. But Babylon's king, Merodach Baladan, probably wants to form an alliance with Hezekiah for protection against the Assyrians. He's heard about Hezekiah's illness, he's heard about his miraculous healing. And so he sends a delegation with letters of well wishes and a gift. Hezekiah has the good sense not to form an alliance with Babylon, but his flesh can't resist showing off his riches. We all want to strut our success. It's human nature. When I was in college, there was an American teenager named Bobby Fisher 
Some of you my age or older will remember Bobby Fischer. He became the world's most famous chess master, taking on and beating the seemingly invincible Soviet players. I don't think anybody could have named an American chess master uh, in the entire city of Butler, probably, before Bobby Fischer. And asked about his claim that he's the only immortal player in the world, he responded, well, it's nice to be modest, but it's stupid not to tell the truth. We like to toot our own horns. Maybe you're not as arrogant as Bobby Fischer was, but haven't you found that you like to show your successes? If you're an an artist of any sort, don't you love for people to see your work and compliment it? And aren't you just a little bit hurt when they don't really pay any attention? If you win an award, don't you want your friends and your family to know? Don't you kind of like it when the newspaper gets hold of it? Of course you do. That's our human nature. There are even those who try to profit from that tendency to toot our own horn. I remember when I was notified many, many years ago that I'd been selected to be included in who's who among distinguished American professionals. Distinguished, professional. I've been chosen to be in who's who. Now, I came down a little bit when I found out that if I wanted my name in there, I had to pay $35. (laughs) And if anybody as proud of me as my mom or my siblings or my grandmother wanted a copy of the book they'd have to shell out $100. And this was back in the 80s. So imagine the price now. We do have a tendency to want to broadcast our successes. Hezekiah had been blessed by God. He wanted the Babylonians to see those blessings. And God didn't like that. Look at our text in verses 14 through 18. Then Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and asked, what did those men say and where did they come from? From a distant land, Hezekiah replied. They came from Babylon. The prophet asked, what did they see in your palace? They saw everything in my palace, Hezekiah said. There is nothing among my treasures that I did not show them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord. The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all that your predecessors have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. And some of the descendant, some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood who will be born to you will be taken away and they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. We all want to strut our successes. But God wants us to keep things in perspective. We don't really have anything that he hasn't given us. 
In Psalm 95, verses 3 through 5, it says, For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. You know, Job had a great understanding of the provision of God. I think that's the reason that Job was so esteemed by God. God was proud of Job. God even bragged to the devil about Job being the most righteous man on earth. He had been blessed with 10 children. He had vast numbers of sheep and camels and oxen and donkeys. And then in a matter of hours, all of it was taken away from him. And when he got the news, we're told in Job chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. The Lord, this is Job speaking. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And at this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he said to the ground, then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. I said it. I sort of turned that inside out. But you get the message. I think our flesh causes us to think that success is what we accomplish, on what we accumulate, on how many people know who we are. Logan Smith had a much more humble assessment of success. He wrote, how can they say my life is not a success? Haven't I for more than 60 years gotten enough to eat and escaped being eaten? <laughs> That's a great perspective. And when Joshua took the leadership of Israel over Moses, uh, when he took that leadership after Moses' death, he gave God's definition of success. It's found in Joshua 1, 7 and 8. Joshua said to the people of Israel, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Well, Hezekiah gave in to his flesh he showed off all his wealth to the Babylonians and God pronounced the consequences. And then we see a third common human weakness. And that is that we all want peace in the present. We all want peace in the present. One time the LA Lakers signed a six foot seven player from Bosnia for $25 million dollars he was so excited, he called his mom to tell her the good news. But she was not excited. In fact, she was angry. She said, never mind all that. Do you know your father's been wounded? Your sister was assaulted and our house burned down? He said, 
Mom, that's terrible, but we're rich now. We can survive anything. Why blame me? And she said, because none of this would have happened if you hadn't brought us to L.A. (laughs) We all want peace in our lives while we're living. Prophet Isaiah has just told Hezekiah that everything in the palace will be carried off to Babylon that some of his descendants will become slaves there. And what is his response in verse 19 of our text? It says, The word of the Lord you have spoken is good, Hezekiah replied. For he thought, Will there not be peace and security in my lifetime? (laughs) He's saying, well, these things are terrible that the Lord has spoken, but at least it won't happen while I'm alive. I'll never have to see it. I like to think that most of us, when we think about the, the state of the world and our kids and our grandkids, we probably won't see what's down the road. But we're worried that our kids and our grandkids Grandkids will have to deal with it. When we look at this fragile economy of the United States and the deficit that is going to collapse as a house of cards one day, we're grateful that we won't have to see it, but we're worried about our kids and our grandkids and those that come further on down the line. We all want peace in our present lives. Remember Kramer on Seinfeld always said, Serenity now! Serenity now. But peace or shalom in Hezekiah's society was so coveted that it was the standard greeting when you saw someone or you left someone, you wished them shalom. The Hebrew shalom didn't refer just to a a lack of conflict, a break from war. The Hebrew shalom encompassed health and quiet and wealth and goodwill and peace of mind. Shalom was so coveted, the kings would hire prophets who would declare it for the future. (laughs) God even pronounced judgment on those false prophets who tried to put on a false face of peace when God was calling his people to repent. In Jeremiah 6, in verses 13 through 15, God says through the prophet, from the least to the greatest, all are greedy for gain. Prophets and priests alike, all practice deceit. They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. Are they ashamed of their detestable conduct? No, they have no shame at all. They do not even know how to blush. So they will fall among the fallen. They will be brought down when I punish them, says the Lord. And the truth is, we want peace in our lives too, don't we? But let's not think that King Hezekiah is just being shallow or flippant. 
He's acknowledging two things. He's acknowledging that God is just and cannot be questioned. And he's acknowledging his thankfulness that he won't have to see the terrible things that will take place in Jerusalem. After all, Jerusalem is by definition the city of peace. For God's holy city to be embroiled in conflict was trauma for godly Jews everywhere. King David expressed the wish of every Jew concerning Jerusalem. He said in Psalm 122, verses 6 through 8, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, peace be within you. And in our city, that is in our everyday situation in DeKalb County, we want peace. It may be a desire of our flesh, but we want to live in peace. Imagine a life characterized by the fullness of shalom. A life filled with goodwill, strength, and vitality, health, contentment, confidence, and harmony with others. The good news is that Jesus is the Prince of Shalom, the Prince of Peace. And his desire is for us to live in peace and joy. Paul said in Philippians 4, 4 through 7, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Hezekiah knew that the Assyrians were threatening. He knew that the Babylonians were out there. He knew that his city would be devastated in the days to come. But he was thankful that he could experience peace in his time. We know there's a lot of conflict and turmoil in our world even in our everyday situation. But Christ offers us the fullness of joy and peace. As we look for an application here, there's several things I encourage you to do. One of those is that last thing that we read about that David did. Pray for peace for Jerusalem. It's God's holy city. Even now, thousands of years after she was destroyed, Jerusalem is still God's holy city. A second thing that you can do is don't be so quick to strut your success. Remember and recognize that everything you have and everything you have done is from the hand of God. Every day, thank God and acknowledge him for those things and remind people who tend to compliment you that God is good. Give the glory 
to God. And finally, be ready when God calls you home. Don't be devastated like Hezekiah because you have affairs to arrange. I encourage you to make those arrangements. Write your will. If you're my age and you haven't written your will, hop to it. I got to confess, I just, Lisa and I went and got our will written, what, a year ago, year and a half ago? Not very long ago. We were negligent. Write your will. Update your insurance now. I didn't do that. I should have jacked that up so Lisa would come out smelling like a rose when I dropped dead. But I guess I still could. And most importantly, say the things that you need to say to the people that you need to say them to. That's part of being prepared. I think maybe Hezekiah hadn't done that. He hadn't gotten his affairs in order. It would be even more devastating to be called into eternity and find out that you're not spiritually ready. You know, I see a lot of people, I meet a lot of people that go all of their lives ignoring God and they are not prepared to die. And yet I ask them and they say, yeah, I'm ready to die. There's never been an ounce of spiritual fruit to indicate that the Holy Spirit lives in them. And they've fooled themselves, many of them, into thinking they're ready to die. They're ready to meet God. I hope that's true. But like I said, there's no fruit. Jesus said, look at the fruit. And it's hard to see in some people's lives. Are you ready spiritually to meet your maker? If you're not, if you've never surrendered to Jesus Christ, and when I say that, I don't mean you ignored going to church. Going to church doesn't save anybody. Maybe you gave a big pile of money in our 30 pieces of silver offering. Oh, remind me about that when we get done here. Our 30 pieces of silver offering. Maybe you donated a huge pile of cash. Maybe you've got perfect attendance. None of those things will earn you any points with God if Jesus Christ is not the Lord of your life because he won't be Savior if he's not Lord. And so I want to issue a challenge, the same challenge that we give every Sunday. Would you like for Jesus to be Lord and Savior of your life? And if you would, we give our invitation every Sunday. It's not really ours. It's Jesus' invitation. He'd like to be your Savior. He came and he gave his blood for anyone who would confess his name and, and put their faith in him. But uh, 